Thanks for tuning in to Tax Strategy Digest, where we explore the fascinating world of finance. Join us as we dive into the stories, insights, and experiences of experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are making a difference in this field. Through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions, we'll take a deep dive into the latest research, trends, and innovations shaping finance. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn something new on this journey here with us. Welcome to this episode of Tax Strategy Digest. Today, our guest is Bernard Reese, the Chief Education Officer at Reassure Financial, helping real estate investors understand how real estate title and tax tools like the 1031 exchange, cost segregation, 401 and IRA can be used to turbocharge ROI and wealth growth. Bernard, thanks for joining me on the episode today. Uh, Paul, I'm uh, so glad to be here. Thanks for making the time and making it happen and being so uh, gracious and accommodating. Oh, of course, of course. And Bernard, why don't we get started? Tell us about your story. I'm, I know I'm eager to hear a lot more about it. Uh, yeah, glad to. My, my kind of background, you know, it starts maybe a little boring, uh, you know, CPA, but I very quickly learned, um, kind of took a an alternate path. And what drove that is the fact that I was kind of always questioning everything. So I was like the, the new guy at the firm and every single thing that was being done, um, this actually was not a tax firm, it was kind of CPA run, uh, but it was a consulting firm um, doing for the CPAs out there. It was mostly agreed upon procedures engagements. Uh, and for every single thing, I was like, hey, why are we doing this? Or why don't we do it that way? Or, hey, we're not looking at that. We should be looking at this. Or we're, there's no reason to look at that. And I was kind of questioning everything. And I got to say, initially, people did not really appreciate that. They're like, hey, just, just do it, you know? And in the tax industry, um, there's an acronym that goes around something called Sally. And what that stands for is same as last year. It's like, all right, you're handling the file this year. All right, how do we deal with this thing? What do we do with that? Whether it's on the audit side or the tax side, oh, it's just same as last year, right? You don't necessarily have to think that too much. Don't break your head too much. Just whatever the, look at whatever the guy before you did when he handled the file, or even if it was you, just same as last year. Um, and so there was like this thing, like all of a sudden I found like you're questioning things. And after a while, it took time, you know, things were actually kind of come around to being, Hey, we really should do it that way. But it was a, it was a really steep uphill climb. Uh, so that was a job that I actually had when I was still in school. Um, when I graduated, um, I initially accepted a job offer at PwC. However, uh, I gotta watch what I say. I, I realized that I didn't want another decade of Sally. Um, so <laughs> I, I actually, before ever stepping foot in there, you know, I, I got back to them and said, you know what, I don't think I'm gonna make it. Um, I started doing work for a family office and then it kind of, from there, you know, did some work for some ultra high net worth individuals. And I was always thinking, all right, like which direction am I going to take this? So I do have a passion for 
tax code, regulations, case law, um, and really getting into the weeds of these things. Um, and, you know, that's kind of taken me to getting into the space where we're focused on self-directed retirement accounts, 1031 exchanges, and cost segregation. Practically, I do consult on all sorts of other tax and financial stuff. It, more or less, if it's out there, I've touched it at some point or another. Um, but you kind of, from a business model perspective, there's got to be a focus on certain specific repeatable services. Um, and for, for that, it's those kind of three. It's 1031 exchange. So real estate specific tax tools. Um, 1031 wasn't always real estate only. Obviously, it was heavily used in real estate, but prior to Trump tax reform, you can 1031 exchange baseball teams and airplanes and yachts. Um, that went away with the Trump tax reform, so it really is real estate only. Um, of course, many other businesses have a real estate component to it, so you don't have to be a real estate investor. That's like your primary focus. You can be a business owner that has real estate as part of their business. Um Cost segregation, obviously, is not really limited to real estate, but again, super popular real estate and self-directed retirement accounts. Yes, we have clients doing everything, uh, but real estate or some real estate angle um, is consistently, you know, the most common utilization of those retirement accounts. Uh, so in a nutshell, that's the journey. It comes from kind of questioning um, and having a desire to always explore new things. Um, and that has led us to where we are today. Perfect. And with those retirement accounts, I've actually always wondered this, what are some of the benefits behind investing in real estate within those? And I've, I've seen on LinkedIn and, and just learning online, there are some downfalls as well. So would you be able to go through maybe some of the pros and cons of um, investing in real estate in a self-directed account? Absolutely. Because there really are pros and cons. Um, and there are a lot of there's a lot of red herring, right? Once the red herring, things that kind of people get focused on um, that can kind of keep you from missing the, you know, getting distracted, so to speak. Some of those, there really are pros and cons. We'll get into them, but there are also some folks out there that are kind of deliberately presenting these red herrings because they may have something else they want to sell you. Um, so let's talk about the starting point for this kind of conversation. And there's no no two individuals are alike. So we have to give them some sort of avatar, right? So, and let's start with the easier ones. Okay. Um, and we're gonna keep it real estate focused, real estate specifically. So somebody is, you know, they've got a, they've gotten exposure to real estate and they're saying, hey, I believe um, in investing all or a portion of my assets in real estate. Now, I'm not one, you know, there's from a financial planning perspective, um, there are different approaches to this. Your typical financial planner, you know, even if they would bring up real estate, which 99 out of 100 cases, they won't, um, right? You would be diversified, right? right. Diversification is very much about protecting your downside. There's no overexposure to particular asset, right? Uh, which also means you're giving up all the upside, right? Of overexposure, <laughs> um, right? So I, I tell people, can you imagine had like 
Um, Jeff Bezos spoke with his financial advisor back in 1990. He would have told him, don't, yeah, you're too heavily concentrated in Amazon. Get diversified, right? Don't, got to diversify. Now, it doesn't mean to say that that's not, um, the financial advisor is right for saying that. And Jeff Bezos is right for disregarding it. What it means really is, is you're, when things are a little riskier, nobody knows the future holds. Those are decisions you have to make for yourself. There is a slight conflict of interest because an advisor, typical financial advisor, they just want to keep things nice and steady, keep the AUM, keep the money there. Don't rock the boat nice and even keeled. Um, this way, kind of, you leave the money there and you forget about it. Um, there's no incentive for them, right? If you take a, a risk, are you doing that something specific that typically means either you're doing it on your own without them, so it's not part of their AUM, or alternatively, you know, if there's downside there, something goes wrong, they can lose you as a client, right? Which, right, their upside is they'd rather protect their downside, which keep your, your portfolio from having any extreme volatility. Uh, but any individual, of course, is free to take make those choices for themselves, right? So we'll have some people say, hey, I want to go all in on real estate. That's because, hey, they believe that having a hard asset is right. They believe they know operators that are going to squeeze more out of the real estate than you can possibly get in the public markets. That may or may not be true. There are successes and failures in every, in every industry. Uh, but it is true that real estate is, is not an efficient market, right? So a lot of the things that kind of we know over, you know, some things that the financial industry tried to shunt under the rug for a couple of decades, um, but we know that to a certain extent, the public markets are efficient. They're not, to what extent they're efficient? Um, we can go let, you know, folks hash it out, right? I'm not entitled to a, a, an opinion on that. Um, but to a certain extent, um, they're, they're efficient. Um, and so private investments do have much greater upside. Um, so certainly we have some people that say, hey, I want to go all in on real estate. And they're putting a number on the upside to them is, and the risk-adjusted upside, right, is several thousand percentage points, right? If that's somebody's perspective, all the nitty-gritty discussion is irrelevant. Right. Right. It's almost like case closed, open shut case. It is true that um, investing in a retirement account in real estate may not be the absolute perfect golden ticket um, that some folks make it to be. But there is no absolute golden ticket. So that's one thing that I'd say people know there is no such um, you know, if anybody's selling you something as, hey, everybody should be doing this because this is the best solution to everything. Um, in that case, uh, you know, you should stay away from that. So there's no perfect solution, but you want to kind of, you don't want to get distracted by some of those cons that we'll talk about. So if that's your profile, that's the end of the discussion. Um, what happens if you're somebody that says, hey, I just want to diversify a little bit into real estate? I don't want to do, put all of it into real estate. I want some diversification. I want to get into one or two deals. Um, and 
if that's what's driving you, if all your or the assets that you have available to do that investment are in retirement accounts, again, for the most part, case closed, go for it. If somebody is saying, sure, everything is driven primarily by assets and really things would be driven by asset considerations and financial and economics considerations. So if the if you want to get into real estate because you believe for financial reasons that a portion of your portfolio should be in real estate and it's all in a retirement account, again, all that we're going to discuss is really moot. So if, it's in, a, if it's in a retirement account, do they still get the tax benefits that they would get if it were in their... Uh, you know, just outside of their retirement account, right? Just okay. regular purchased it. So let's get to that. Okay. Let's get, let's get to that. So let's just move down the spectrum. Now, let's, so we got somebody who doesn't want to go all in on real estate. He wants to have some of his portfolio in real estate and some of it in other things. And he's got liquid assets in different buckets. He's got some in retirement accounts and he's got some in his personal Right. That brings us to a topic that we call asset location. Asset location um, for the non-financial professionals, we're not talking about whether the real estate is in Alaska or Florida. <laughs> uh, what we're talking about is which tax bucket and which legal wrapper, which tax and legal bucket and wrapping um, is going to hold which asset because you have a bunch of different buckets um so you may have a 401k bucket that's a location you may have a roth ira bucket that's a location you may have stuff that you own outright that's a bucket you may have a trust that's a bucket and then each bucket can hold different assets um and so say you want to if you have some real estate syndications you've got some stocks you've got some private equity you've got some hard money loans you've got some ATMs. All right. Which do you put? Which of those assets goes in which of those locations? Right. That's what we're referring to when talking about asset location, um, matching, mixing and matching. So you're optimizing your asset assets with their bucket that's holding them. Um, and this is where it gets exciting and no two individuals are going to be alike. So let's kind of talk about some of the stuff that's out there. And let's just start with the one that you raised. We're not getting real estate tax benefits. Got it. Um, so if I'm allowed to throw some questions back at you, sure. which real estate tax benefits are being lost? That's a great question. Uh, that's what I would come <laughs> back at you with. That, that was my next question for you. You got me, you got me on my toes. Okay. So primarily... Um, real estate, where you're looking at is real estate is, consider, is a tax shield. So you're going to see people out there saying, don't ever buy real estate in a retirement account because it's a tax shield inside of a tax shield. Got it. Um, or another angle on that same thing is don't ever buy real estate in a retirement account because you're not getting the benefit of depreciation deductions. Right. Um, let's try to unpack this. So one, just to, to compare and contrast, um, one of the most tax-efficient assets out there is a stock market index fund, right? Um, so most people are actually holding very tax-efficient assets inside of their retirement accounts today. Um, so it's not as if 
Now I will say, yes, with somebody, I do prefer that you put your tax assets that need your assets that need the greatest shielding inside of a retirement account, right? So say you're doing hard money loans or private loans. Yes. Do that in a retirement account because okay. those are not shielded in any way. Right. But this is a great place where I have this discussion with people and they're like, oh, great. So I'm going to use my self-directed retirement account for hard money loans. And I say, if you have a good or hard money loan deal that you like, by all means, or if you find somebody good, by all means. But if your angle was real estate, don't do a hard money loan <laughs> that you're not really 100% comfortable with because it's it's going to get the greatest tax yield, right? Right. You got it starts with the assets. Um, so the now real estate, what tax benefits do people get? So the first thing to understand is, yes, if you have real estate in your retirement account, depreciation deductions will not flow through to you personally. Okay. Why is that? Two reasons. Two reasons. Um, one is obviously your retirement account from a tax perspective, it's own taxpayer. It's not you. It's kind of its own tax person. Um, and anytime there's tax-free income, this is the second point, there are no deductions. Meaning to say, um, to the extent a certain activity generates taxable income, it can create deduction, the deductions relative to that income. Tax-free income can never create any deductions. Um, this came up recently during COVID because people were getting PPP loans and all sorts of income that was tax-free. So initially the IRS said, okay, but you can't claim any deductions for anything that you use that money for. Right. Right. That's a general tax principle, right? So you only get deductions if it's an activity that can generate taxable income, then it's like, hey, all right, we're going to be, Congress says it's not so equitable and we're going to be nice. And we're not just going to say, oh, you pay tax on all the revenue and you get no deductions. We'll let you take deductions against that revenue. But if we're not taxing that revenue, right. it doesn't make any sense to create exactly. deductions. Yep. Right. So in a sense, it's actually something that's way better than getting deductions. Uh, now, what people will, will say is, though, when you have an activity that creates losses, right, now we have a benefit because I can use that loss to offset other income. Right. For the majority of people, um, when they invest, if, certainly if they're passive investors, right, those losses cannot offset their active income. There's better information today, at least on LinkedIn, than there was, I'd say, three, four, five years ago. Right. Um, I've seen the transformation. Suddenly, there are people out there that are actually providing more accurate tax info. Uh, but if we would have a dollar for every person that invested in a syndication, thinking that they're going to wipe out their W-2 income or their business income, right? And came tax time, you right. know, got a rude surprise, uh, right? That, that we'd have a lot of dollars. So for a lot, many folks, those losses end up being suspended passive losses. Got it. All right. And then what does eventually that loss do? When you sell the property, 
then that loss offsets the income generated by that property. Well, in a retirement account, you don't need the loss to offset that income. So, uh, would, so you, would you not recommend then that, and, and maybe not recommend is the right word. I don't know if you're allowed to you know, recommend that anybody do anything, but um, it might not be the most tax efficient for someone to invest in a syndication um, with their self-directed retirement account. Would that be correct? If their so, if their goal is for tax purposes only, if their goal, if somebody is is putting money into real estate strictly to create losses to offset income that they can offset with those losses, correct? Then a retirement account will not serve that purpose. Perfect. Absolutely not. Unequivocally not. But <laughs> if they're putting money into real estate because they believe in the asset, and somebody is telling them. Don't do that because you're losing the benefit of the losses. For most people, they're not getting the benefit of that loss anyway. Perfect. Because it's going to be it's going to be a suspended passive loss. Um, there is that doesn't hold true for everybody. Um, so if somebody is, you know, there are certain people can benefit from that loss if if either for them it's an active loss. And, right? and is that if they're a real estate professional? Is that correct? If, typically, typically it's going to need them to be much more the real estate professional. Okay. They're going to have to be a real estate professional and they're going to have to materially participate um, in the investment topic to itself. Um, in the member space, I probably have, I think, if I may say, the most comprehensive resource out there on this topic. Um, I haven't published it anywhere, uh, but there, but you have to really care about the nuts and bolts of this stuff to go through that that post that is that our article uh but yeah so it's a it's a complex topic but yeah. either, the way to benefit is either to make it active and offset other active income or if you have other passive income then okay. it can net out against each other um a couple of other ways but that's typically what we're talking about but to kind of i think the upshot of all this is if somebody says don't do this because of x dig deeper, ask questions. If somebody says, do this because of X, dig deeper. Because typically, um, it's never as simple as just X. Uh, but the key is either to work with a, a, you know, a tax pro that really knows all every neck of the woods and can help you sort it out. Um, and part of it is sometimes trying to find not to lose the forest for the trees. And try to try to identify, you know, the one big item that's kind of going to drive the decision, uh, because to a certain extent, you can't really nobody's got a crystal ball um, and not everything fits in a spreadsheet. Uh, so that's what we're kind of we're looking for, either to work out the nitty gritty with somebody that they've got to know self retirement accounts. They've got to know personal taxes, real estate taxes, and they've got to know your personal profile. Um, and if you want to simplify it for yourself, try to find the big item that really matters to you, which is going to be some financial consideration and go with that. Perfect. And I just wanted to address as well. And I, I think I know the answer to this one, but um, anybody who's, they're not going to get a cost seg benefit if that money is in a retirement account. Is that correct? Uh, so typically not. And absolutely, these tools kind of work together. They really do. Um, and we can illustrate different ways how they all come together. Um, sometimes it's for a single individual. 
is using all three of these because they have different buckets or creating different buckets. So as part of a kind of a evolving and strategic tax plan, these all work together. But it's, you're not going to do a cost seg inside the retirement account. Perfect. Okay. Got it. And um, I have a personal question here now because I saw this uh, on your LinkedIn post a couple weeks ago. Um, I was really excited to ask you about this on the podcast. I literally wrote it down right when I saw it. So um, can we talk about how foreign real estate could potentially be part of a 1031 exchange or kind of what that looks like? Maybe it can't be, but let's dive into it. Yeah, glad to. Uh, so foreign real estate can absolutely be part of a 1031 exchange. Now, where are where, what's in the fine print? So real estate, people were used to in the context of, of 1031 exchange, um, it's got to be like-kind real estate. And we all know and love the fact that real estate is extraordinarily broadly defined for 1031 exchange purposes. So you don't have to, you can sell a duplex and buy land. You can sell land and buy a multifamily building. Um, you can go from office to commercial. You can get mineral rights. Um, you can have long-term leases. Um, again, all the stuff. There are There's content about all the stuff. It's searchable in that member space. Um, it is very, very broad. But we're, here's one of the exceptions. So domestic real estate is not like kind to foreign real estate. So you can exchange, you can have do a 1031 exchange um, that involves foreign real estate, but you'd be going from foreign real estate, you'd be selling foreign real estate and buying replacement foreign real estate. Um, you couldn't do domestic to foreign or foreign to domestic. Um, and then it's important to know the limits, you know, of what is foreign and what is domestic. Something that people are surprised to find out is, let's say, Puerto Rico is foreign. Um, so typically for what we're looking at is domestic USA, Alaska, uh, you know, DC. Um, we can broaden that somewhat to, you know, Guam, US Mariana Islands. Uh, but typically we're talking at that domestic US real estate. Um, everything else is foreign. Um, US Virgin Islands is a little more complex, uh, but kind of that's the concept. Foreign real estate is in, but you'd be buying more foreign real estate. Or alternatively, what we get is like, oh, I want to sell my real estate in the United States and 10 through one exchange into a property somewhere exotic. Yeah, sorry. Got it. So we I can't, you know, sell a mansion out here or sell a multifamily property and then go and uh, buy a property right on the Amalfi Coast in Italy. That's not. Exactly. Yeah, that's not going to go. Okay. When, I, when we get to write the rules, maybe we'll change that but <laughs> until then. I'm sure there's, how often do you get that question? Uh, pretty often. Right. Pretty often. Um, actually running a, a foreign exchange, like the nuts and bolts of executing it gets tricky as well uh, for a number of reasons. And you also introduce uh, currency risk into the equation. Right. So it gets to be like, hey, we try to keep everything denominated in the foreign currency. Uh, it gets execution um, is a little tricky. But it comes up very often. Um, I'd say what comes up most often is U.S. to domestic. Pardon, U.S. to foreign. Um, and then after that, foreign to foreign. What are what are some, some of the common questions that people will come to you asking? 
um, that you would think they'd already know or should already know maybe, but um, something that you could tell really anybody listening that normally comes to you and they're super curious just about a certain topic. Uh, so I long ago stopped thinking that anybody should, should know anything. Sure. Um, okay. Uh, and, and I mean that, and, and I say that, so it doesn't come off sounding wrong. What I mean to say is folks have their area of expertise. Um, and outside of kind of that circle, that sphere, um, things get to be kind of superficial. They don't really, you know, people pick up different tidbits, but they don't have the entire framework to kind of put it together um, and to assimilate that info. And the tools to do that aren't really there. Uh, so people will hear different tidbits, uh, but it don't really have a framework to properly interpret it. And I think that's that's totally normal. Uh, what I would say is what we should each do though, because there are a lot of folks out there that are in the tax product space and every space. And I'm just speaking about it from my perspective, right? There are lots of folks in the space that I look up to and I learn from. We have mutual respect. We learn from each other on the back end. We ask each other questions, right? And then there are folks that are hawking a product, uh, but it's really the substantive expertise and the desire to really try to help people isn't solely there. It's more about selling a product. Um, and I think it's, it's helpful to take a step back and for each of us to look at the area, our unique area of expertise. And we can see how, hey, I've devoted you know, my focus to this topic. And I can see, you know, how I've mastered this craft and how, you know, oh, other folks don't, some folks are great at it and some folks are just brushing the surface and selling it. And that exists in every realm. Um, so you should just always look out for the substantive folks, the folks that are focusing on the substance, not just uh, pushing the product. Um, especially when it comes to anything financial, legal, or tax. Uh, now, what are some common questions? Um, there's, you know, we have different domains. I'd say on the, let's say 1031 side, um, I'm interestingly enough, even accounts, we're helping accounts all the time figure out how to calculate gain sure. or loss on an exchange. Okay. Especially when there's boot involved. Um, so boot, you know, for those that are to the uninitiated, 1031 exchange um, can be completely tax-free, it can be partially tax-free, or it can be completely taxable. Um, the trickiest to calculate is when it's partially taxable, right? right? When it's completely tax-free, it's easier. Uh, when it's completely taxable, that's even easier. <laughs> when it's partially taxable. Um, that's where the complications get a little more complex. Uh, so what's that all about? Uh, let's talk, you know, what do you need to completely defer tax on a 1031 exchange? Uh, the first thing you need to do is calculate, to know how the calculations would go, is what would your taxable income be without an exchange? Right. And let's just pick a number. Let's call it a million dollars. Um, and say you go into an exchange, you're targeting replacing um, your equity um, and selling price. 
in your replacement property, right? That means that if you, you know, this the property that you sold, you sold for $2 million and there was a $1 million bank loan. Your replacement property, that would mean you had a million dollars of equity because the fair market value is $2 million. You sold it for $2 million. Uh, but the bank really was owned a million of that, half of that. You had 50% equity. You had a million dollars of equity. So in your replacement property, you've got to have at least a million dollars of equity. Secondly, the fair market value of, the, of your relinquished property was $2 million. That's what you sold it for. Your replacement property has to have a fair market value. You've got to buy it for at least $2 million. So those are the two things that we got to get. We've got to replace equity, replace fair market value. Now, to the extent that you fall short of either one of those, you're going to have taxable income, right? So there's no proration. So say in our illustration, um, we said there's a million dollars taxable income. Now, suppose your replacement property purchase price uh, was $1,900,000. Um, you put in a million, so you replace your equity, uh, but you got a bank loan for $900,000. Uh, so your equity is, is replaced, but your fair market value isn't. So now you've got, you've fallen short by $100,000. To what extent is that $100,000? Now, what happens to your exchange? Some people think it's all taxable. Nope. Your exchange is still a good exchange. It's going to be partially taxable. Uh, now, but how does that tax work? It's not that the $100,000, and this is kind of, some people make the error and think like, oh, I just blew up my exchange. Yeah, right. no, it's not that bad. Um, your exchange is pretty successful, actually. Uh, but some folks are like actually opposite extreme, and they think something a little too good to be true, which is that, hey, I was supposed to, I got, I took in $100,000. Um, my taxable gain, right, on the property, like was a, a, of a as a percentage, let's say, of the sales price, my profit is 50%, right? My net profit, I would turn into percentage, was 50%, right? My difference between my basis and my sales price was 50%. Oh, so of the $100,000, 50% is taxable. Doesn't work that way. Um, the full $100,000 is taxable. So in that case, you would have $100,000 of taxable income. The nice thing is, um, you don't $900,000 remains untaxed. Uh, but that $100,000, which in industry jargon is boot, we call that boot. Um, so the extent to which you fell short of meeting the requirements for the exchange by either falling short of your equity or fair market value target, or by getting something that's not like kind, like getting not you know not non-qualifying property, right. uh, we'll call that boot, and that boot will be taxable fully. So that hundred thousand dollars would be complete taxable income. Uh, what happens if you got an illustration? You got one point five million dollars of boot. Is one point five million dollars taxable? And the answer is of course not, because had you not done an exchange, there was really only a million dollars of taxable income here to begin with, right? So you cannot possibly tax on more than a million dollars. Um, so that's kind of the ceiling on the possible, highest possible level of taxable income here. Um, and to the extent to which boot kind of fills that up, you'll have taxable income. 
So $50,000 a boot will be $50,000 will be taxable, but $950 won't be taxed. So an exchange doesn't have to be completely tax-free to provide a huge tax benefit. Perfect. I, I, is that clear? No, no that, was, that was fantastic. I, I honestly think that there are going to be some people who listen to this and give you a call to have you walk them through every other situation because that was perfect. I think like a third grader could probably understand your example. So that was great. No, that was, that was awesome. You must've been a very gifted third grader. <laughs> I tried, you know, I, uh, I was reading Harry Potter in third grade. So no, oh, that, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> um, well, how did you get into this space? I mean, how did you decide that, you know, taxes were right for you? Because I don't think any kid out there who's in third grade is actually looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, you know what, I think I'm going to grow up in, uh, and I'm going to be a CPA. I'm going to go enjoy learning about tax law. Yeah, but maybe they're looking at the mirror of Erised. You never know. You know what? That's a Harry Potter reference. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Uh, so the um, for those that are not informed, Mirror of Erised, Erised is desire. Looking at it, right? And ironically, if you put Erised in a mirror, you'll see what it spells in reverse, right? Desire. And the Mirror of Erised shows you what you want to be, what you want to be. Uh, that's what you look in that mirror. You don't see what you actually look like. You see what you're hoping for. Uh, you want to hear something, just a good story. Let's so we have, uh, through our website, um, through our website, you can submit messages and questions and occasionally you get somebody, people that just want to make you nuts and they don't really want to talk. They want to maintain anonymity. This fellow came in with one of those obscure Harry Potter names. You really had to know your Harry Potter to recognize, okay, this is not this guy. This is not a real, uh -huh. this person's not really giving you their name and contact info. It's all bogus info. Um, Runao Waslib, I think, if I recall correctly, is the Harry Potter reference. Nice. Uh, but that's, uh, but what, 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 brought, what brought me here? It, yeah. To a certain extent, it chose me. It started with one of these actually ultra high net worth people that was brought a tax product. And okay. they said, hey, do you know what? I know you, Bernard, personally. And I know some of the things you've done. And I need somebody that's just going to take this thing apart. Somebody that's going to go through the, all the code, all the regulations, all the case law, all the IRS guidance on it, and then look at this product and, and help guide me. And that was kind of the real, and that was, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really where it all began. That's awesome. And did you ever have a mentor or anything like that along the way? Um, not in taxes, believe okay. it or not. I would say I've had a lot of people that I've learned from. Uh, but in terms of like a mentor in taxes specifically, uh, no, but I'd say I've had mentors kind of as, you know, as a, as a person, as a human being. And I think that comes before everything, right? Whether you're doing taxes or law or selling widgets, it's all just details. Yeah. Uh, ultimately it's all about the over, the, you know, the human being, um, and in every space, right. You have folks that are, that really want to provide value and are, yeah, Hey, you know, we all got to provide a service or a product. Um, 
to earn a livelihood, right? And so for, for the great folks out there, it's like, okay, how can I provide great value to people? I want to help people as much as I can, right? And, and earn a fear. Um, and your tip, those folks are going to provide typically even way more value um, than they, you know, than their fee. And then the opposite of the spectrum is folks that are just looking to, you know, how can we get that fee? Um, and so I think it's really, really where you want to start for it with is the human side. And there I've had some got exceptional, exceptional individuals. They're not a social media, so their names won't mean anything. Uh -huh. uh, but these are the kind of people that you meet and get to know. And you're like, wow, a, you know, as human beings, if we really focus on true self-improvement, um, you know, we can really be great. Um, and it's just something to aspire to. I love it. I love it. What, uh, this is something I ask every, every guest on my podcast. It's, uh, what's your, why, why do you do what you do? Uh, so I think I just touched on that. Sure. I find that this is where, uh, I can add the most value to people. Um, you know, that's, that's really, I think we each should focus on, you know, where do we, where can we add, I think there's so many things that other people can do way better than I can, right? You know, th and there are way more things that people could do way better than I can than things that I could do better than others, right? right? So, and I think for most of us, that's kind of true, right? We each have, we're all amazing, but we each have our, you know, our, our superhero skill set. Um, and which is where we can help folks the most. And I think people that really want to help people are going to use their, you know, that kind of, that skill set. Um, that's what they're going to focus on. And that's really it. This is where I find that I, I can add the most value. Perfect. Well, Bernard, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on here today and sharing everything with us. Um, I'm going to add your LinkedIn below. You've mentioned quite a few times uh, somewhere on your website where uh, individuals could ask you guys questions or learn a little bit more. Uh, where would that be? Yeah, that's reshorefinancial.com. R-E-S-U-R-E -E financial.com. Uh, buttons to schedule calls, um, submit questions. And then we've got an education space, searchable, you know, even though our, our primary focus is 1031 exchange, the retirement accounts and plus segregation, that membership space, which is free to join, is searchable. It's got info on almost every single tax or financial product. Um, you know, search it, you'll probably get a hit. Perfect. Well, awesome. Thank you so much again. And uh, we'll talk soon. Paul, thanks so much for having me. I've enjoyed this um, and looking forward to next time.